0: Each year, the World Bank's Women Business and Law Project issues a report assessing how much countries are making measurable progress towards gender equality. The report looks into the strides that women are making in areas like the workplace, entrepreneurship, marriage. And in their last report, they added another category, childcare. According to the International Labor Organization, women globally are now spending 15 hours more in unpaid labor each week than men. Much of this is on child care. It's a gap that's been made worse by the pandemic. From taking on childcare or family care, many women are feeling overwhelmed and burned out. Aerial As the, the pandemic hits the labor market, advocates worry that years of economic advancements by women could be in jeopardy. Childcare centers are an essential part of our economy, and they are in trouble. Experts predict many won't make it, so should the government be doing more to help? Fortunately, lawmakers all over have begun taking greater notice. Major new initiatives supporting childcare passed in places like Vietnam, Peru, Argentina, as well as Bangladesh, the South Asian country of roughly 170 million people, where women make up less than a third of the labor force. That's where we'll be focusing our episode today. I'm Reena Nainan and this is A Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, a podcast from Foreign Policy looking into the ways women are overcoming barriers to bring about change for themselves and their communities. About a year and a half ago, lawmakers in Bangladesh passed something known as the Daycare Center Act with the aim of dramatically increasing access to childcare for working parents. The measure created quality standard regulations. It made it easier to open a daycare center. The law's proposed implementation guidelines also included caps on the fees that providers could charge parents seeking daycare. Later on in the episode, we'll hear directly from two different daycare providers on how the law has impacted them and their hopes for working mothers. But first, we want to give a little more perspective on what expanding access to childcare really means, especially in developing countries like Bangladesh. So we reached out to Marina LaFonte, a legal consultant at the World Bank's Women Business and Law Project. As she explained, the World Bank, though not her division, actually assisted Bangladeshi lawmakers with the drafting of the act.
1: This act was actually part of a larger World Bank lending operation to create more and better jobs after the COVID crisis. And a needs assessment was prepared in preparation for this landing operation, and that showed that there were significant uh, gender differences in terms of participation in the economy, with just 36% of women working compared to more than 80% of men, with one out of three women being engaged in unpaid work. And... The data showed the labor force participation of women dropped significantly on after marriage, and even further after having children. And therefore, the government, working together with this World Bank team, decided to address this issue to incentivize more women participation in the economy by offering better, and more affordable, and more high-quality childcare.
0: Something we're hearing more and more about this pandemic is women leaving the workforce because of childcare yes. and that affects the global economy.
1: Definitely.
0: What exactly does this law do?
1: Before the passage of this act, the government only offered 1 year of pre-primary education for 5-year-olds. From birth until the age of 5, there were no childcare Options for children, except the private options, which were more expensive. And because childcare centers did not have to abide by any registration and licensing rules, they did not have to abide by any clear quality standards. Now the act diversifies the offer of childcare by providing essentially four types of child care provision. So now the law recognized public childcare centers run by the government for free, subsidized child centers, which are supported by the government, and then NGO run non-for-profit and also private childcare centers for commercial purposes. The second thing that the law does, it introduces licensing and regulation system which was absent before. And what that essentially means is childcare operators need to abide by set quality standards in order to obtain that license and registration.
0: When governments look at the creation of childcare, Based on the hard data and statistics you've seen, how do you convince a country that investing in childcare can be transformative for their economy?
1: Childcare is really it's not even a win-win situation, it's a four-time win situation. It is not only good for child development. We know that, you know, investing in the early years of children has ripple effects that can last throughout their life in terms of nutrition outcome, health and education outcome, and productivity in their adult years. But it is good for the participation of women in the economy because women are disproportionately responsible for unpaid care responsibilities at home. And studies show that when women have access to affordable and quality childcare, they have better jobs, highly paying jobs, they work longer hours. When that happens, there are returns in terms of growth and benefits for the economy overall in terms of more women working, so increased tax revenues, increased business opportunities. And considering that usually the childcare sector employs primarily women, this could be jobs for women. The World Bank estimates that filling the current childcare gap which is substantial could create between 43 and 53 million jobs worldwide this is a clear you know economic case for childcare
0: so when you look at this child daycare act in bangladesh how exactly has it helped the daycares
1: Right now, the government is still in the process of de- developing the implementing regulations. There's the Bangladesh Shishu Academy, which sits under the Ministry of Children and Women Affairs. They are putting together an operating manual that is really going to guide the operators in what to do to open a daycare centers, what standards to abide by, what are the institutional Agencies they have to report to. And the government is planning to open 8,000 childcare centers in 16 districts in Bangladesh. And so, if you think that every center is expected to employ at least five employees, this is going to create at least 4,000 jobs wow, in Bangladesh.
0: So job creation through daycare is also something that. Job you...
1: creation job creation.
0: That's important. So when you look at this law, what do you think is not being addressed? What are the gaps in the current childcare system that still remain there from a legal perspective?
1: Right now, we're waiting to see what the exact quality standards are going to be mandated in the implementing regulations. So the Act for now sets some broad standards. So ideally, we want to see things like a teacher to child ratio, which is very important, a maximum group size, some physical infrastructure requirements, and also some measures to promote affordability.
0: Mm-hmm. And tell me, where is this act right now?
1: The act was adopted in 2021, and right now the government is in the process of preparing, implementing regulations that are going to help the providers really understand what the requirements they need to abide by are, especially in terms of quality to obtain the licensing and registration and they are putting together an operating manual. It's really a clear manual for the operation of daycare that it's helping.
0: I'm a mom and I know it's one of the things that weighs over me all the time is thinking about childcare and how to make sure it's something that's supportive of my family and helps me as I'm working. So marina I want to thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really uh, a pleasure.
0: My thanks to Marina Elefante, a legal consultant at the World Bank's Women, Business and the Law Project. Having laws on the books is one thing, but implementing them is a whole other story. After the break, senior producer Laura rosbrough tellum profiles two different childcare centers in Dhaka to gauge their opinion of the law, what it does well and where it might fall short. Welcome back to Hero, a production of Foreign Policy. Before the break, we heard about a new daycare center law in Bangladesh. It aims to increase affordable childcare and improve quality standards. Since then, the government has proposed implementation guidelines recommending caps on fees. But those have not yet been enforced. So how might all this shake out? Senior producer Laura rossbrow Tellum heard from two current daycare providers.
2: When Jamila Hawk visited relatives in Bangladesh, she didn't think she'd wind up moving back to run a daycare center.
3: 12 years back, I came for a visit to see my in-laws and my family. I'm a resident of Canada. And when I uh, came to visit Bangladesh, I feel like women are working so big uh, companies. Then they don't have a proper place that they keep their children, and then they go to work.
2: At the time, she was working for We Watch Daycare in Canada, and she wanted to bring that model to Bangladesh. She was talking to a few mothers who said Bangladesh needed good quality daycare. But Jamila realized she would have to overcome long-standing cultural norms, where grandparents are often taking care of toddlers. Grandparents, they are not uh, ready to give their uh, grandkids to somebody's care, their uh, grandkids. This system is under strain though, as an increasing number of mothers, especially in urban centres, live far away from their parents, leaving childcare up to mothers and limiting their ability to enter the workforce. The mothers Jamila talked to thought her experience in Canada might change people's minds. One of the ladies was telling me
3: that why don't you open one daycare in Bangladesh? And that's what Jamila did. Next year I came again to visit and also my intention was that I brought my, all the module, what Canadian government provided to me to run a daycare. So I trained some staff and one of the house I took rent and then I
2: started a daycare with the curriculum based daycare. And then Damila got her first big client, Phone, the country's big cellular provider.
3: So when one of my parents, she was from Phone, and she gave me the Offer that, why don't you send a proposal that what you are doing. So um, I got the contract for 70 kids, Grameen phone, and then I did
2: provide the service almost six years with them. Jamila's ideas of importing the Canadian model to Bangladesh were well-received. And soon, one daycare center turned into another, and then another. Today, there are about 200 children enrolled in her nine daycare centers and preschools and she employs more than 80 people. One of WeLearn's most successful centers is located in Dhaka, the capital and largest city in Bangladesh. Inside a classroom, a dozen or so kids are running around in music class. There are learning boards with colorful numbers and letters, books, plastic tubs full of toys. Jamila's centers have attracted widespread praise, both inside and outside of Bangladesh. Outside the class, at a reception area, the walls are lined with dozens of certificates and awards of excellence. We learn has even attracted the attention of the World Bank, which is working with the government to expand childcare in Bangladesh.
3: Well, there was a workshop with the World Bank. It's Bangladesh Economic Zone, and we participated there. And there was some presentation that our daycare, like quality curriculum-based daycare, and I was very much happy to share my presentation to them.
2: And they were very much impressed, yes. In general, Jamila was in favor of the new daycare center law that was passed last year. She sees the new regulations and commitment to setting standards as a positive step forward for the daycare industry in Bangladesh. Kaji Sariha-Hawk, another provider, agrees with this. She says centers should be held to higher standards.
4: We follow the international ratio. We have one caregiver for four children, and for younger babies, we provide one caregiver for three, and all the staffs are educated.
2: Kaji Suryahank has been operating the Tiny Tots daycare center for about four years.
4: Our center is set up in 3,000 square feet of space. Our space is more than the government-prescribed space.
2: Before Tiny Tots, Kaji got a master's in management. But she always wanted to work with babies. And she's been committed to providing high-quality care. But doing so has come at a price. Adhering to international recommended teacher-student ratio guidelines meant hiring more staff. Kaji was forced to pass on those costs to parents in order to stay afloat. This means most of the children at her center come from middle and upper middle class families.
4: Uh, The monthly fee for above two-year-old babies is 8,000 taka and below two years old babies is 9,000 Taka.
2: To give some context, 9,000 is the equivalent to a little less than $90 per month. On the surface, that seems like a pretty good deal, especially considering the average cost for childcare in the US is more than 10 times that amount. But in Bangladesh, the middle class income roughly translates to $330 per month. So $90 a month for tuition is significant. Kaji found out about the Daycare Center Act in the newspaper. She's glad the issue of child care is being addressed on a national level, but she worries that parts of the new proposed implementation guidelines will punish private
4: daycare centers like hers. The government fixed an amount. This should not be fixed. It should be defined in some other way.
2: The fixed amounts Kaji is referring to are the maximum fees. New rules in the proposed implementation guidelines say that for private daycares like hers, the maximum monthly fee for one child will be 5,000 tonka per month. Kaji says at this price, it's gonna be hard for her center to remain profitable.
4: It is not possible to arrange all these in 5,000 taka. Providing a baby with food within this 5,000 taka is not possible. Moreover, you need to provide healthy food for the baby's proper mental and physical growth. It is not possible in 5,000 taka. Kanji said the net effect is that the law may backfire, as parents
2: might be left with even fewer options.
4: This is the bad news for working parents. If we need to close our service because of this law, this will be a great problem. Therefore, if the government discusses with us the negative sides of this law and solves those problems, it will be good for us. Otherwise, private takers may need to close their services. So where does
2: this leave us? Parents want more daycare centers. The government does too. And they want to make them more accessible by capping their fees. But providers say they simply can't afford to operate at lower rates. More money needs to flow into the system. But the big question remains, from where? In November, the World Bank published a needs assessment of the childcare situation in urban parts of Bangladesh. Their key recommendation to the government? Subsidize daycare centers, or give them low-cost credits or grants. That way, more daycare centers can lower their prices. For now, there are no government funding plans in place to offset these new proposed maximum fees. But the implementation guidelines have not yet been enacted either, nor have plans to open up many new public daycare providers materialized yet. So for now, the status quo remains. Private childcare providers in Bangladesh, like Jamila and Kaji, are doing their best to provide high quality childcare while also earning a profit. And so, while the government is still figuring out the best way to fund and implement these changes, women in Bangladesh are already benefiting from a shift in mentality. Before, their roles were seen primarily as child rearing. Now, there's an official affirmation that they're valued in the workforce as well, and that the government should have a greater role in making that reality Easier. For the hidden economics of remarkable women, I'm Laura Rosbrow Tellum. And Alva Amit Halder helped us report and produce this whole story, including visiting a number of daycare centers in Dhaka.
0: So, we talked a lot on the show about how improving structural barriers actually empowers women economically, like childcare and marriage rights, and also access to land. Next week, our last episode of the season, we go to the Democratic Republic of Congo. We profile an amazing program that not only trained men to support their wives' co-owning land, they also worked with their sons, many of whom were against their mothers' owning land.
3: I was angry, and we argue a lot with my parents asking why our mom should be given a land and not me, their eldest son.
0: That episode next week. Before we leave you this week, one quick note. Foreign Policy is conducting a listener survey to better understand what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear in future episodes. All participants in the survey who provide their email will actually be eligible for a $25 Amazon gift card. So to participate, follow the link in the show notes of this episode. We thank you very much for your time and your feedback. I'm Rena Nainen and you've been listening to The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Laura Rosbrow-Tellum is our senior producer. Rob Sachs, our managing director. Foreign Policy's audio team includes Rosie Julin, Maria Jimena-Aragon, Claudia Tatey, and Dan Efron. Our show is a production of Foreign Policy and is made possible through funding in part from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Thanks so much. We'll be back in your feed next week.